0: And you see me, no. no, I can't see you, I can't see anything, I can only hear the snarls and echoes of this place, and I can feel the darkness, it's blowing around me like smoke, I can taste it, it's stifling me, pressing in, scouring my skin. It's a threat. The constricting coils of some night-black snake. I don't know what it wants. Or is it just waiting to feed? I had a dream, if I was sleeping. A story that came to me through the dark. A story of people and places I didn't know. A story I lived, just briefly... ...taking me out of this place. Let me tell you. Let me have a moment... ...remembering the world as it used to be. Even if it's only through the eyes of others. What? Okay. I'll tell you the story. Dark Figments Written and performed by James Farwood Episode 1 The Man in the Lane Get the extended edition of this episode, show notes and bonus content at jamesfarwood.com Smile. Laura did smile, but she did that thing where she lowered her head and brushed her hair over her ear. The thing that usually meant someone had asked her a difficult question. Or worse, God forbid, given her a compliment. Come on, I've got plenty of pictures of the top of your head. Now I'd kind of like one of your pretty face. Stop it, I'll go red, she protested. She was right. She lifted her face towards my camera, shuffling round so the sunlight coming off the water's surface didn't dazzle her. Her shoulders were tense, and her posture was awkward. But the smile she gave me, well, that could have melted glaciers. You done? Hmm? Come on, Will, put it away. There are far lovelier things to be looking at than me. Not even close. Lara turned towards the cliff edge and slipped her hand into mine. The salt breeze made her hair dance, and she closed her eyes, losing herself in the breath of the ocean. "'Will it do?' I asked, giving her hand a squeeze. She grinned, her eyes still closed. She'd asked me the same on her first date, all of five weeks ago, about her choice of restaurant. She'd asked me the same thing again before our second date, about her choice of outfit. Now it was a thing.' She laid her head against my shoulder. You'll do. I do love your smile, by the way, I tried to say, but I tripped over the word love. It was surely harmless in the context, but it still felt like a big step. Lara picked up on my dilemma and just squeezed my hand with a silent, desperate intimacy that we wouldn't be able to put into words for a good while yet used to come to a place like this with my dad, Lara said after a few peaceful moments. He'd have liked you. He was a storyteller too. He was never happier than when he had people wrapped up in a story. Didn't matter if they were true or not, and most weren't. What was your favourite? I asked, watching the sun make its final descent onto the horizon. I liked the scary ones. He told a mean ghost story. He called them his campfire tales. Can't remember us ever actually having a campfire, mind you. A little gas stove heating the beans was about as rustic as it got. Couldn't count the times I had to sleep with the light on after one of our campfire outings. I used to have a dream where I was telling ghost stories to my kids. But Carol never wanted them. Another dream she took from me. I was too late to stop myself. Oh, sorry. What a stupid thing to go on about. Hope I haven't ruined it. It's all right, I understand, Lara said gently, wrapping her arms around my waist. It's still raw. Relationships mess us all up. Until the one that doesn't, I said, turning her head so I could plant a kiss on her lips. She smiled again, Not the girlish, embarrassed grin now, but something altogether calmer. Something deeper and more content. She slowly let her head sink back onto my chest, turning her eyes back to the sun, setting over the calm grey ocean. So tell me a ghost story. The sun began to melt into the horizon. Hmm, okay. Give me a minute. I gazed around the countryside, seeking inspiration. My eyes came to rest on our holiday cottage, sitting alone at the edge of the farmland that stretched almost up to the cliff edge. A narrow shingle road was the only access, a winding pathway that led a mile and a half inland to the main road. Well, I began. There is, in fact, a notorious ghost that haunts this very stretch of coast. I had a feeling there might be, Lara said. There are whispered tales of a spirit that wanders these very cliffs. A man once, so they say. But death has burned everything from him but his malice. Nobody knows if he performed horrendous acts in his life or whether some atrocious act of injustice has turned a once-innocent soul into a creature of hate and vengeance. Nobody even knows his name. They just call him the Man in the Lane. The sun sank below the horizon, stripping the last of the warm orange from the clouds. The cold shades of dusk claimed the sky. It always starts at just this moment, I continued, when the dying sun has breathed its last and slips away from the world. As night begins its dark march across the heavens, that's when the man in the lane stirs and takes his first step back into the mortal world. He's there in the first chill of night you feel on the back of your neck, He's there in the sudden silence just after sundown, when the birds cease their calls and the distant sounds of humanity fade into nothingness. He's there in your urge to shutter your windows against the oncoming dark. Because once his gaze falls on you, he will follow you into your grave. And on the other side of death, he will be waiting for you. Lara tightened her grip on me slightly. Come on, I said, turning her away from the ocean. Let me show you. We retraced our steps across the clifftop to rejoin the lane that led to the cottage. Here's where you'll find him, I continued, still walking with my arm around Laura. The old pathways of the coast, the quietest and loneliest places travellers find themselves as night falls. Places of memory. Places where people have been most alone, most desperate to reach the safety of their homes. We started to wander down towards the cottage, our feet crunching a disjointed rhythm of four on the broken surface. Once you hear him behind you, it's already too late. He already has your scent. You feel the prickle on the back of your neck, that tells you that something is close behind. You fight the primal urge to start running, telling yourself it's just your imagination acting out in the darkness. Those footsteps behind you can't be real. The feel of unfriendly eyes on you is just the normal weariness of the night. Everything will be fine just as soon as you get back to the light of home. Our footsteps continued their discordant patter. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And so you reach home, locking the door behind you to calm what you hope is mere paranoia. And in the light of your living room you start to feel better. The night is locked outside and you're safe. You watch some TV, read a book, call up a friend... Everything is normal again. Time passes. You eventually catch your head dropping as you skirt the edges of sleep. So you turn off the lights and head upstairs. Funny, you could have sworn you'd closed all the windows just before you left the house. But the one by the stairs is open. Just a crack. You don't think anything of it. Just close it up and carry on to bed. You brush your teeth, sit reading for a while, and then, just as you reach over to turn off your bedside lamp, you hear a sound. Or at least you think you do. A soft rustle. A footstep on the carpet, maybe. No, of course not. You click off the light. The room goes dark with only a shaft of moonlight coming through the gap in the curtains. But right there, you've made your mistake. You've let the night inside. You hear the faintest of sounds, a creak, as metal hinges move against each other. In the blackness of the far side of your bedroom, you swear something is moving. You stare hard into the dark, The creaking has stopped. But you're certain you didn't leave that wardrobe door open. And into the square of moonlight on the floor, just beyond the foot of your bed, suddenly steps a man. The wardrobe? Oh no! Lara said, pulling away from me, grinning. Seriously, the wardrobe? She playfully slapped at my chest. And never show the monster. You know better. I broke into a wide smile. Nah, all right, I kind of run out of steam at the end there. Lara settled back into my arms. The rest was actually all right, she said reluctantly. Come back to me when you've got an ending. We dined on lamb chops in the semi-rural splendour of the living room. I had claimed, not entirely untruthfully, that I had achieved a degree of renown for my chops, which I then proceeded to burn. Only slightly, but enough to get me annoyed with myself. Lara didn't mention it, so I did, apologetically. She simply replied, They're perfect, and gave me a gentle kiss on the corner of my mouth that made my stomach flutter. And she was as good as her word, eating with an excellent show of gusto until her plate was clean. After the chops, and the cherry Garcia, and the coffee, and the wine... We lay defeated, lost amidst the immense plush cushions of the sofa, my head resting on Lara's chest, her fingers softly twisting strands of my hair. You know, you breathe really sweetly, I said. I didn't move my head to see her face, but I knew the inquisitive expression she was wearing, the one that furrowed her brow ever so slightly as she tilted her head to the left. With every out breath, I continued, there's this little. there, you hear? This little musical note. Makes it sound like you're getting ready to burst into an aria. Lara chuckled, her chest moving against my head. Oh, I promise you that is something you do not want to happen. Do you find it relaxing? I asked, closing my eyes. What? Listening to our breathing. If I get mine in sync with yours, listen, it sounds like the ocean. Out in the darkness, I could just make out the gentle breath of the actual ocean, shadowy waves sighing up against the sightless shore. There had been a subtle change in Lara's silence. Suddenly I felt tense. You okay? I asked. I started to sit up but Laura's hands gently guided my head back down to her chest. Yes, yes, sorry. Triggers. Triggers? She sighed. Paul used to... She started, but broke off uncertain. It used to make Paul angry. I know I breathe loudly sometimes. I, I sigh in things. I try to control it, but sometimes I don't notice. There's nothing in the slightest bit annoying about your breathing, I said. Taking her hand and pressing it to my lips. Everything used to make Paul angry. Yeah, Lara said, so softly I could barely hear it. Sorry, I'm a bit out of practice at being charming. Oh, shush, you, Lara said, playfully flicking my ear. It was a lovely thing to say. I'm just, you know. One of these days, The world's going to catch me out and find out I was never all that charming to begin with. Then I'll be done for. Lara lifted my head so she could plant a kiss on my nose. We lay in silence for a while, listening to the distant sounds of the sea. Wait, what's the date today? Lara said out of the blue. Oh, uh, twenty-something, I replied. My diary's on the table if you want to check. Gimme! she said, reaching over me to demonstrate that she couldn't reach and was clearly not wanting to move off the sofa. I stretched out and got my fingertips on the edge of the book, dragging it inch by inch towards the edge of the table. As soon as it was in range of Lara's outstretched hand, she snatched it up. Twenty sixth, she said, flicking through the pages. "'Annabelle Hall tomorrow?' ''Is she my replacement?'' she asked, pouting unconvincingly. ''You know, your jealousy is really very sweet,'' I answered, ''but this particular lady is, like, 350 years old. ''It's an old manor, an English heritage place, not far away. Crumbly walls, old paintings, cream teas. Thought it might be fun to drive out there tomorrow.'' ''Well, I do love crumbly paintings,'' Lara said smiling at me as she shifted her body against mine to let her place a lingering kiss on my lips. And tonight's the 26th, so let's go see the show. Suddenly energetic, she pushed herself up off the sofa, clambered over me with little elegance, and dashed for the door. What? What show? What is this mysterious thing of which you speak? I called after her. Best night to see the meteor shower, she said disappearing out into the hall. We should have an absolutely perfect view out on the hill. There are no streetlights around for miles and miles. I struggled to climb out of the pile of plush cushions and ended up having to pull myself up using the table. By the time I got to the hall, Lara had donned her boots and was rushing out of the front door. Come on, race you, she beamed, leaving the door open behind her as she disappeared into the dark of the garden. Feeling sluggish from the meal and the flop on the sofa, I trundled to the kitchen and ferreted around for my walking boots. By the time I pulled the front door closed behind me, Lara was already out of sight beyond the trees that flanked the lane. I hurried across the lawn and hopped the stile. On the hill, away from the orange-smeared skies of civilization. The moon was dazzling, casting its lifeless light over the landscape. Apart from the relentless breath of the ocean at the foot of the cliffs, there was silence. It lay thickly on the land, oppressive and stifling. But above us the sky had bloomed into a dazzling starscape. A million burning beacons spinning in the slow dance of the cosmos, inviting us to join them in the frozen heavens. It's art, Lara said in wonder as I joined her at the top of the hill. Her head tipped right back as she leaned on the fence, separating the lane from the fields beyond. There really is nothing up there tonight except the most perfect beauty. Just look at it. And I did. I climbed the fence and we stood back to back, watching the sky for the first signs that the real show had started. And when it did, when the pin-sharp streaks of white began slicing through the night, Lara's hand found mine through the fence, and we weaved our fingers together. For those few precious moments, there was nothing in existence but the waves, the stars, and two love-struck souls. There was a footstep, the soft crush of gravel in the lane behind me, I turned to look. Lara was still gazing straight up into the sky. The lane was dark and empty. But my eyes were drawn to the bend just a little further up, where it turned away from the hill and disappeared behind thick hedges. There was something moving just behind that furthest edge. But it was only leaves swaying in the night air. It was so dark in the shadows that the hedge and the leaves and the gravel... "'all melted into a grainy flatness my eyes couldn't make sense of. "'Lara squeezed my hand and gave a little gasp. "'I followed her gaze upwards "'and caught the end of a bright barrage of shooting stars. "'Oh, look!' "'Lara breathed in a voice so quiet "'it sounded like she was murmuring in her sleep. "'There was another footstep in the gravel. "'I snapped my head back to the bend.' to the darkness, but I could see nothing moving except for echoes of streaking meteors burned into my vision. For the first time I noticed the wind blowing in from the ocean, and I shivered. There was a sudden flowy of sound, something pushing forcefully through the vegetation, and then the fleshy flap of featherless wings beating together. I must have jumped, because Lara said, It's just a bat. I waited, listening. I became very aware of Lara's breathing. In and out, one and two, one and two. It wasn't until my chest started to burn that I realized I'd been holding my own breath in. You all right? Lara asked as I gasped in a few catch up breaths. Yeah, I said, still watching the lane. Can you. There was a breath, with the faintest hint of a deep male murmur. Had it been me? Can you hear something? Laura turned to me, examining my face for a few moments. Then she turned her face back skywards. Come on, don't ruin it, she said very gently. I forced my eyes away from the lane, and waited in silence as Lara watched the sky. My interest in the universe's light show had evaporated, though, and she must have picked up on it, because after a minute or two she said, looks like the magic sparkly stuff is drying up anyway. "'Guess the show's over for now.' She let go of my hand and stepped away from the fence, back out into the lane. I climbed back over the fence and jumped to the ground, wanting to catch her up before she wandered too far. The instant before I landed, I heard another footstep, closer, louder. But by the time the sound of my own feet hitting the ground had faded, it had retreated back into the silence. I pulled myself away from the advancing darkness, looking around for Lara. She was already further away from me than I felt comfortable with. I jogged to catch her up, The sound of my feet hurrying across the gravel was painfully loud in my ears. Hearing me coming, Lara held out her hand. I took it and fell into step beside her. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Five. I spun back around, my heart thumping in my chest as I followed the sound of the stranger's footstep. For a moment, the night seemed right on top of me, and I could see almost nothing. The lane, the hill, even the moon had vanished into nothingness. Come on, Lara said by my side. Let's get you home. She was still smiling her kind, gentle smile, but she was looking tired now. The limits of her patience not reached yet, but visible. I looked back up the lane and found it had reappeared, empty and lifeless in the white moonlight. Not a branch was stirring now. The whole scene felt eerily like a photo, a frozen moment of changeless time. There were no sounds of feet on the stones. There was no sound of anything. Whatever I'd thought had been there was gone. Will, did you leave the front door open? Lara was looking over towards the cottage. No, I closed it, I said. Lara was quiet for a moment. It must have blown open in the wind, she said eventually. She paused again before saying, The latch was playing up earlier. We had left the lights on when we'd rushed out to see the stars, all except for the single upstairs room, which was the master bedroom. My eyes scanned the windows one by one, searching for any movement inside, finding none. But in the darkness of the bedroom, was that a deeper shadow, a purer shade of black hanging motionless in the window. I stared at the shape, not even blinking, daring it to move, to prove its existence. Well, Lara called, drawing my attention away, She was already back at the front door. It's all right. Come on in. I took a few steps towards the door, returning my eyes to the bedroom window. The shadow was still there, still motionless, and although I could see nothing but impenetrable darkness, I felt eyes on me. The dizzying tingle of adrenaline began spreading up my back, that deepest, most primal of urges. Two hundred million years of evolutionary instinct screaming for me to run. The bedroom light flicked on, briefly dazzling me. There was no figure standing in the window. There was no man-sized piece of furniture there either. There was nothing. The shadow had evaporated. I re-entered the cottage, a low dread slowing my steps. Lara was already bustling around upstairs. The sitting room seemed unnaturally still and quiet. A frozen moment, an illusion that could rip apart at any minute. Coming up, Lara called from upstairs, her voice sounding jarringly loud in the heavy silence. Yes, I replied, much quieter, not wanting to disturb the brittle mask of normality in the cottage. Lara called down, reminding me to lock the front door, and I fought back the urge to tell her to keep quiet. I pulled the two bolts across and turned the key in the old heavy lock. I took the key out and placed it in the dish on the sideboard where it had been when I'd first come to the property. I reached around the sitting room door and flicked off the lights. As I did so, I felt a shiver run up the back of my neck and I knew with a cold certainty that someone was behind me. I froze in the doorway, my hands still on the light switch, the skin up my arms prickling. I was holding my breath, but I could still hear breathing. Time stalled. I don't know how many breaths I counted before they suddenly stopped. The silence that followed was worse. Ever so slowly, I started to turn my head. The hallway was dark, the only light coming through from the kitchen at the far end. There was no one there. I took three steps forward. The kitchen door swung slowly closed on its hinges, shutting out the light. I placed my palm on the door, stopping its motion. And as I did so, the lights in the kitchen went out. I tried to control my breathing, but couldn't. My shallow, uneven breaths had that strange, offbeat echo again, as though a second pair of lungs were imperfectly imitating my own. I pushed against the door, and it swung open with the sharp creak of old metal moving against metal. The darkness of the kitchen opened up before me, black shapes framing the blue night outside. Something moved across in front of the window, a shadow, moving fast and deliberately. My hand flew to the light switch and flicked it, the old metal switch stiffly relenting. I half expected it not to work, but the lights flared into life. My eyes took a few seconds to adjust, but I could see there was nobody in the kitchen, only my own reflection in the glass of the window. The back door was hanging open and the chill air coming through it made the inside door swing back against my hand. I walked quickly across the kitchen and pulled the back door closed, then locked it and placed the key on the side. I looked around the room and something made me pick the key up again and put it in my pocket. I went back into the hall and turned the kitchen light off behind me. The feeling of being watched had mostly gone the silence around me less oppressive. The wind and my reflection, was that all it had been? The darkness seemed to tighten around me, and there was a loud thump from upstairs, the sound of something heavy hitting the floorboards. I hurried into the dark stairwell, but halfway up, the stair under my foot shifted, the wood letting out a loud creak that froze me to the spot. I stared up at the bedroom door, Wanting to call out to Lara but fearing to reveal myself, I watched the light leaking out from under the door, watching the subtle shadows change as someone moved on the far side. The handle began to turn. My hands gripped tightly onto the banisters. Lara pulled the door open, and I stepped forward into the light cast from the room. She gave a little startled shriek, then started to giggle. God, well, you made me jump. She placed her hand against her chest. What are you doing down there in the dark? You can't cheat an ending to your story by jumping out at me, you know. You have to try harder than that. Sorry, I said, meaning it. I was just coming up. I thought I heard something drop. You okay? I knocked the lamp off trying to fit all my books on the table, she said sheepishly brushing her hair back behind her ear and shooting me an endearingly embarrassed smile. She really did have the prettiest smile. Now dressed in the oversized T-shirt that she wore to bed, she held out both hands towards me. Coming to bed? she asked. For that one sweet moment, everything felt safe. Everything felt all right. I was awake, but I didn't remember falling asleep. It was still night, though the moon had long passed overhead and there was no light to breach the shadows of the bedroom. I felt uneasy down to my stomach and immediately wished I'd slept through until morning. There was no life at all in the world. No wind moving the curtains, no clanking of the cottage's old plumbing as it cooled in the night air. Even the ocean seemed to be holding its breath. The distant waves hushed beyond my ability to hear. I rolled onto my side, wanting to just be asleep again, asleep until my fears were made laughable by the light of day. There's a reason we're afraid of the dark, I told myself. A nice, rational bedtime story to help me back to sleep. We just don't like not knowing what's going on, just out of sight. Evolutionary instinct to stay safe, that's all. And I was safe. The middle stair creaked. There was a moment of complete silence, then the stair creaked again as the weight was taken off it. Something was moving in the stairwell. I turned towards Laura to make sure it wasn't her that she hadn't got up in the night. Her face was right up against mine, eyes open but vacant, mouth contorted into a mockery of a smile. My chest seized up and I reached out to touch her, but even in the gloom I could see enough to know. Her skin was cool, the memory of life already fading from her. I jerked away, my legs scrambling hopelessly under the thick duvet. As I yanked at the fabric, it pulled Lara's body forwards and her face, with that sickly, dead smile, rolled towards mine. I cried out and kicked myself backwards off the edge of the bed onto the floor. Her lifeless eyes stared down at me, and for a moment I was frozen to the spot, muscles tensed so hard they wouldn't move. The old hinges of the bedroom door began to grate against each other. Instinct taking over, my legs shoved me into a stumbling run towards the bathroom, not looking towards the bedroom door as I passed it. I shoved the bathroom door closed behind me and felt for the lock below the handle, but the key wasn't in the door. I was flicking the light switch up and down without any effect when I heard a single, raspy breath from the other side of the door. I backed away until I hit the sink and couldn't back away any further unable to see the door or anything else in the windowless bathroom. The handle rattled. Then there was a soft click as the catch pulled back. A desperate idea came to me and I turned towards the sink, feeling up the wall for the cord that turned on the light over the mirror. Expecting nothing, I yanked it hard. The light flickered on as the cord came away in my hand. In the mirror... The door behind me was open. Underneath my reflection, a word had been smeared onto the glass in red block capitals. Next. I spun back around. The dim light being cast out into the bedroom lit only a wall, a slab of carpet and the head of the bed where Lara's white, grinning face stared out towards me. Whatever had opened the door wasn't anywhere in sight. But the sound of breathing... The shadow of my own still echoed around the old walls. My body was tensed almost to the point of paralysis, my every instinct telling me to keep out of the dark room beyond the door. But Lara's black eyes, staring their unfocused stare out of her lifeless grinning face, tormented me in a way I couldn't bear. I found myself taking a slow step forward, wincing as the floor creaked under my shifting weight. The breathing stopped. The shadows had moved in the bedroom. I hadn't seen when it happened, but Lara's face was now being touched by the darkness. I couldn't work out how it was even possible. The only light source was behind me. My eyes followed my own shadow across the floor when I realised, with a pang of nausea, that it was visible to anyone in the bedroom. Lara's face was disappearing into the darkness, into a soulless black smear that seemed to be half in the world and half on my eyes, as if it was starting to leak inside me. I reached behind me to grip the sink, trying to hold myself upright as my knees buckled. I remember the moment I realised I was about to pass out, when I dropped to my knees on the bathroom floor, my vision almost completely gone. The realisation shot adrenaline along my spine, and I was running. I jumped the stairs, forward to time, lucky to find my footing until the final jump, which toppled me against the wall at the bottom of the stairwell. I managed to get my arm between my head and the wall, but the impact still left me with burning sparks across my vision. I pulled myself through the door into the hall, listening for the creak of the stair behind me, not sure if I could hear it above the rising roar in my ears. I sprinted in the direction of the front door, but the darkness was now impenetrable. There was nothing to see, apart from the tiny variations in the shade of shadow that may have been walls and furniture. The last of the light from the moon had gone. Or maybe I just couldn't see it anymore. My eyes felt heavy. I collided with something hard at waist height that doubled me over and sent me stumbling to the floor. I forced the cry down inside myself, pushing only a hiss out through my mouth. There was a breath, deep and rasping, almost a moan from right above me. I stared wildly around, seeing only black. I reached out for the thing I'd run into, hoping to pull myself back to my feet, but my fingers didn't connect with anything. I kicked my feet out against the floor, forcing myself backwards, uncertain of what I was heading towards. There was a second breath, and a third, getting shorter and closer together. I could now hear solid footsteps falling on a stone floor, just a few feet in front of me. It wasn't making sense, but as soon as I noticed it, the carpeted floor of the hallway changed under me to cold, hard flagstones. Where the hell was I? The footsteps grew closer, the breathing getting faster, more furious. The ground beneath me started sloping away, but I didn't move with it. My hands were gripping at nothing, but I wasn't falling. My feet stopped getting purchase on the stone. I couldn't tell if I was moving or not. There was only the breathing, the blackness, and me. I started to scream. There was no sound. Breath fell on my face. I tried to cry out and scramble away, but I was nothing there, just another shadow in the dark. I didn't wake up. I realised that I had always been awake. As the remnants of the darkness flushed from my vision, I saw the early light of day through the window of the bathroom. I didn't feel rested, but I felt some deep, comfortable satisfaction something utterly familiar that I couldn't name. I pulled myself to my feet. In the mirror, the word NEXT was still visible, an angry scribble in thick red marker. The cord for the mirror light was still wrapped around my hand. The dawn light made my reflection look deathly pale. In the mirror, the door behind me was open. Lara's face even paler, stared at me. She didn't look like she was grinning now. She looked like she was screaming. The dawn light made my reflection look deathly pale. I suddenly realised why I'd been pulled back into consciousness. Someone was knocking on the cottage door. Forcing my eyes away from Lara's face, I left the bathroom and went through the open door into the stairwell. Even in the dim light of dawn, the stairs looked ordinary and unthreatening. I stepped over the creaky middle stair. The knocking came again, and I could see the shapeless form of a man on the other side of the frosted glass in the front door. I walked down the hall towards him and unlatched the door. Seb, I greeted him. Seb hooked the tray of groceries higher onto his hip. Morning, Chief. "'Visiting again, Mr Lane?' "'You know me,' I said. "'Can't stay away.' "'Want me to put your shopping in the kitchen for you?' "'Seb asked, even chirpier than usual despite the ungodly hour. "'No, that's fine. I'll take it.' "'He handed me the entire tray, and I balanced it on the sideboard. "'Let me just get my wallet,' I said, and disappeared into the lounge. "'I slid my diary across the table.' running my fingertips over today's page where I'd written Annabelle Hall in my uneven scrawl. Hope I didn't wake you and your good lady, Seb was saying from the doorway. I took two twenties out of my wallet and returned to him. No, don't worry, it's just me at the moment. I saw Seb eyeing the conspicuous double portions in my order. Annabelle's coming up this afternoon, I added. Say no more, chief, say no more, Seb said cheerfully, giving me what he thought passed through a conspiratorial wink. Oh, nearly forgot to say, I saw your car keys. They were still in the lock of your boot, so I grabbed them for you. I felt a sudden anxious pang as Seb handed my keys to me. I moved past him, ignoring the sharp stones on the driveway that dug into my bare feet. I unlocked the boot and swung it open just enough to see inside. I breathed. Under the cover, I could see the handle of a shovel and two large rolls of plastic sheeting. Everything okay? Seb was calling from the front door. I closed the boot again. Yes, I said, turning back to him. Everything's just where I left it. Well, that's good, Seb continued. I mean, we hardly ever get crime out here, but you never know. When I see a key in a lock... I've got to ask myself, did someone take a peek? You know, just because it was there. Because some people... Thank you, Seb. I cut him off. My eyes drifted up to the window of the bedroom. But I should get moving. I need to clear up before my guest arrives. Seb winked again. Hey, hey, guest, is it? I know, I know, a man's got his priorities right. I shall leave you to it, squire. Hope your lady guest enjoys her stay. Thank you, Seb, I said again, closing the door behind me and listening as Seb crunched back across the drive to his van and drove the sputtering thing back up the lane. I fished my phone out of the drawer in the sideboard and turned it on. Annabelle had sent me a message last night. It said, can't wait, need me to bring anything. I sent back, just yourself. I walked back up the stairs, stretching the stiffness out of my back. The bathroom floor had done it no favours. I cast another glance at Lara's greying face and went into the bathroom. I looked at the word NEXT scrawled on the mirror and started to wipe it off with a flannel. I'm working on it, I said to myself. I opened the cupboard and took out my diazepam. The anxiety had largely faded now, but last night's attack had been my worst in months. The medication would get me calm again. My phone beeped. Annabelle was up early. Her message said, So excited. I smiled and swallowed two tablets. Because Lara, sweet, trusting Lara, had been right. You never show the monster. There it was. That was it. I woke, if that's the right word, back in this darkness, feeling sickened. But the darkness relented just a little. The coils around my chest slackening slightly, letting me draw in more of this black air. They're connected somehow, the story and the darkness. Wait... Wait, it's starting again. That non-sleep, that deep unconsciousness that brought me the dream. I can feel it starting to weigh me down. A new dream. I can see broken moments at an old woman. She's alone and she's afraid. There's something in the woods, watching her, always. I'll tell you when I wake. Dark Figments was written and performed by James Farwood. Recorded and produced by Onward Studios. Follow the show and get advert-free extended editions of every episode at jamesfarwood.com. Stay in the loop by following me on social media at jamesfarwood.com social.